This is how we overcome the movement of the kingdom. Reaching to the world with arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice. Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we've been spending most of this Easter tide looking at our personal call stories. And we've spent these last couple of weeks talking about how those are in flux and changing. Um, we, I talked a couple of weeks ago how I am moving and that how that has changed my call. Sarah uh, talked about her transition and calling and working with interim ministry. So Steve, how has your call changed over the years? Uh, I, I feel in a sense like um, uh, I have much less that is interesting to say because um, I have not gone through the kinds of transitions in ministry, either in location or setting uh, that both of you have. You, you both uh, strike me as far braver than I. Sometimes it feels like the biggest transitions I make are when I move from uh, Kalibi or Times New Roman as my default font to Garamond or, or Cambria. And like the big transition is changing a font. So I'm like, no. um, so, so the way, the way that my story is, is different than both of the stories that you have told each of you so far is that I am um, not quite to having served 16 years in one shared ministry. I've, this is the, this is my first call. Uh, so I'm still trying to get it right. Um, serving two congregations in the same County where Erica, you ser- have served or will have been serving whatever the right <laughs> verb is when this airs and when your transition happens. Um, so I don't have uh, stories or, or um, uh, insights about going to a new place or taking a different kind of job or call. Um, and the, the family dynamics have been a piece of our story in that the, the two congregations have seen our family move from uh, when we first came here. Um, my wife and I had been married for uh, all of seminary for four years, and those years were the seminary years um, for me, um, and no kids to uh, my wife getting uh, a master's degree and then a doctorate degree, and then um, the adoption of two children um, that came a year apart, basically, uh, in, in our, so we, we've gone through plenty of changes in who we are over those 16 years, and certainly the congregations as well, but all in, in one place. Well, I'm going to push back on something you said at the beginning, um, which is that I think it's very brave to stay in one location for so long. Um, you know, I know that when I was going through seminary, that was the ideal, right? Is that you would find that congregation that your passions and energies aligned and that you could work well together and that you could have that very long-term stable relationship because there are certain ministries that you can only do with that type of trust that a long-term pastor is able to build with congregations. Um, And it sounds like you had that with your two congregations that you serve. Well, I I will say I, I, I appreciate what what you named about that. There are definitely things that I think are possible when there's that, that sense of stability uh, and and longevity there. And I would say too, in my formative years growing up watching pastors, I don't think I'd known a Lutheran pastor, at least who'd been in one place for more than seven years. And I just sort of assumed that's how it works. And I went through seminary with that awareness of 
the average is, you know, a first call is about three years and then be prepared for something else. Um, and it was actually when I was in seminary, my internship supervisor had been in that call in that congregation for, I don't know, maybe 20 years or so. He continued to serve years after I um, uh, left that congregation in, in seminary. Um, and it was really eye-opening for me to see as an example, someone who had both done the long-term thing, but also didn't get, um, didn't get jaded, didn't get, um, uh, like uh, a lack of creativity or just sort of like lazy about it. Like I, I, I had known stories of people who had been places for a long time and it seemed like it just got comfortable. There was no fire, no challenge, no anything anymore. It was just like, here's a comfortable place. They don't want to challenge me. I won't challenge them. It's comfortable. It's a steady paycheck. Um, but I, it was seeing the example of this particular mentor who was open to new possibilities, new things. And even when there was lots of difficult stuff that they went through as a congregation, he went through in his ministry, um, continued to find things that, that brought him to life in that. And that, so that for me, at least it opened the, for, in my mind, the possibility that, um, that being in a place for a longer time could be healthy, not just uh, inertia. I think, I think my, my, my fear over the years I've been here is like, how will I know the difference between this is the right place and just inertia that like the, I don't want to go through the hassle of, you know, change. And like, and I, I get that. Cause like um, in, in the front of my mind, a lot of times is that, that quote of Flannery O'Connor's that grace changes us and, and uh, change is always painful. Um, and that that's why we're afraid of, of grace too, because grace is going to require change and that, that there's something always uncomfortable about any kind of change. So I, I want to not just be, in a place because it's comfortable or because it's familiar. Um, but it was helpful to see other examples of people who've been in a place for a while and were able to do ministry more effectively because of that. They, they could lean on, we've been through a bunch of things together. Mm-hmm. I remember early on, I'd only been here for maybe maybe four years or so. And I read um, a book by Johnson Wilson Hartgrove uh, called The Wisdom of Stability. Um, and now he's a name, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove is um, uh, like along with William Barber and the Poor People's Campaign, like part of that movement uh, nationally. But this is a book of his that was just about doing ministry. And I think in particular, he was talking about doing urban ministry, uh, but about uh, the importance of making a commitment to a place for a while and being willing to be there for the long haul. And he, he drew on the desert fathers of all things. He, he actually uh, like uh, this, this book that was very much about his own experience in inner city church life also draws on, you know, father Anthony, the ancient, you know, um, church father who wrote from the desert um, about the idea of being in a place and not being easily moved from it. And that, that stuck with me as how do you how do you build relationship with people if in the back of your mind is always but I'm keeping an eye on the door for you know a way to get out of dodge um and so like that 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 landed well with me I think the other piece that was has been a piece of the narrative here um I may have said this before when I first came here one of the two congregations that I served had one room and an outhouse and a hand dog basement and they had plans to build a new building and I came just sort of in the thick of they had plans from an architect and if things went well they were going to start breaking ground so there was a clear sort of a part of what needs to happen in this next season is we need to get through a building project and uh, we got through that there were plenty of hiccups along the way but we got through the building project and then it also kind of seemed like a transition that needed to be walked through there was how do you 
how, how, how can you be the Israelites who are used to the wilderness years and get to the promised land and not like just give up? Okay, we're now we're done. Our goal is just to build a building. And so it part of the challenge for me was um, it's it was relatively easy to mobilize people for something they could see that would make a difference in terms of the physical comfort. Oh, we're going to have flushing toilets. Yes, I'm willing to dedicate time and energy for flushing toilets or we're going to have padded pews. Great. Or we're going to you know, like there that the vision was was clear and understandable and people could see why this was important. And then once we had the building. It wasn't just how are we going to make sure we can pay for it, although that was a question, but also we worked so hard to, to build this. How are we going to use it in ways that we that lets us do things we couldn't do before? So it wasn't just nobody wanted to have their wedding in a building with an outhouse, although that was true. But um, it was exciting in that congregation. We became a host congregation when um, the Indiana County Family Promise Interfaith Hospitality Network got started. So housing homeless families and taking turns several times a year. And the logic was we have a building now. We can use this as a space that people uh, can have shelter rather than this building being empty for, you know, throughout the week. Um, so those things were exciting to get to be a part of. And it felt like that was also a part of the necessary narrative that, it would it would have been like leaving at halftime to say, well, we got the building built, goodbye, but like to, to move beyond to how should we pay for this building and how are we going to use it, not just have constructed it. So those those have been pieces that have kept making making it make sense to to continue in this place. So Steve, I've been part of building campaigns, not as a pastor, but as a layperson in churches. Um, my home church um, sold their old property, bought an elementary school, built a sanctuary. And from what I've seen in like the places where I have been a parishioner, usually once that's kind of accomplished, then the pastor has done their job, they get moved. Um, so it's interesting to hear you talk about like how staying and helping them see, okay, we have this new great space. How do we use it beyond just a sanctuary yeah. on Sunday morning? Yeah. Um, I, I I think that was that came to be an important piece for me when we were going through the process of building of like when construction was happening, we did I don't know if this stuck in anybody else's memory, but for me it was kind of how I processed all that. We did for adult ed Sunday school that year, like a whole year looking at the wilderness stories and like lessons from the wilderness and how the you know the the Israelites going through the wilderness had to learn and what not to forget when they got comfortable in their own land and all that kind of thing. Um, and we did that intentionally with the, we're going to get to a point when the process of building will be done and how will we remember who we are and that we aren't reducible to our building. We aren't that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so then once we got to the point that we have a new building, it really felt like it would be disingenuous to say, okay, we're, we're done with the building ribbon is cut. Let's go. But that it, like that these things are here for a purpose and that they are not an end for themselves. Um, and that, yeah, it, it, it seemed like, you no, know, it was, it was important and responsible to, uh, go through that whole process all the way through. And I guess the other piece too, is because the building project happened so early on, like I came and it was, that's what we're doing here, folks. Uh, and we broke ground, I don't know, within 18 months of me arriving and then construction and all that, um, that that's that's that period of getting to know and to love people so that once there was a building there was now i've been with these two you know these two congregations and gotten to know you know people and faces and sat with them in hospitals and 
you know, held their babies on the day they were born. And in those moments, getting to, to live through those milestones is a whole other kind of set of privileges too. And like, this is one of the things that, that makes me feel really old, but also I, I love um, personally is that like kids who I was, I was literally in the hospital room or held them on the day they were born now are like in confirmation age. And this, like for the first time, people that I baptized, I'm walking with them as they're preparing to affirm their baptism and can say things like, you know, on the day that you were baptized, we all made promises. I know I was there. I was, I was the one pouring the water. Um, and now we're here in this other one. There's something really cool about that. Um, that also comes with, um, pain. Um, you know, you, you talked, Erica, when, when you got to be the one in the hot seat about the ways that we bear um, a certain amount of heartache going through these transitions. And it's one kind of heartache when you're the one leaving and others are staying in one place and there's separation that way. But there's also a different kind of pain when you're the one staying in one place and other people move on to other chapters of their life. So walking with people through death or they get married and they move to another place or they have kids and they you know, take a job halfway across the country or kids grow up the way they do and go to college or go on to jobs and things like that. And it's exactly what you're supposed to cheer for. Um, like in, in a way, I, I've been like for the last 16 years, getting practice at, at what it what it is also to watch my own kids grow up and to know there's going to come a point where my elementary age kids are going to grow up and part of what being a parent and loving them is going to be is watching them go out on their own be what they're supposed to be and whatever that looks like and just cheering for them um so like there there's there's no there's no pain-free way out of this life and there's no pain-free way out of being uh, in ministry at least at least authentically i think um and so it's a it's a it's the the flip side of that kind of uh pain of of transition is sometimes we're called to be the ones who will we'll be here and when you need a place to come back to we'll be here um and sometimes it's just we we are here with each other when somebody else dies or when they're going through heartache and there's something beautiful and holy about that uh but it, it also um comes with with a certain amount of heartache too so something that I, I keep thinking about as, as you're sharing your story, Steve, because at least my seminary experience, your situation is often lifted up as the ideal of, you know, staying in one place for long term, um, however many years that, that is. That's kind of lifted up as the ideal, or at least it was when I was going through seminary. I can't speak for every seminary experience, but... Um, but one thing that they often talk, talk about in seminary, and I shared a little bit last time, is that when you are staying in one place, you often have to reinvent your ministry periodically to keep it fresh, to keep mm -hmm. it energized. Um, how have you done that in this one place for 16 years? Oh, I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because when you said that last time, I thought like that's such a helpful notion and whether there's exactly a clock that like, you know, goes off after every seven years and says it's time. Um, it feels like, yeah, something about like that. Um, and it, it's interesting because there have been times in the years that I've been here where I felt like I was approaching something that would that could have been or would have been uh being like in a funk for a while and that it took something to yeah let's try something brand new like when, when I first when I first came here and the building was 
the the big milestone at the one congregation there was sort of a clear well your ministry is going to be pretty building intensive right now and you get through the building project and pick the colors of the upholstery and help the congregation design their stained glass window all that kind of stuff um and then when that came to an end there was okay now we can actually get to you know, doing stuff with this space in that particular congregation. And parallel, the other congregation was going through paying off the, the uh, loan from a renovation that had happened long before I came. So there were certain like milestones there of, okay, when you get to those points, there will be a natural change of, of what kinds of things will happen. Um, another thing that I noticed was um, there was a point, and it, it might've been about seven years after I'd been here, um, that um, I, I, got the idea to um, try uh, creating like a, 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 a thematic, I don't know, I, I don't know, a thematic program for like for ministry in the whole year ahead. And so like there was, a, a, we, we had like a, a, a biblical theme that was going to be part of our worship life and our guide us through the seasons and be part of our education life and the devotions that I wrote and things like that. And for me, it was sort of an interesting experiment. And then I liked the way that worked so well that it helped bring, at least in my mind, a bunch of different parts of our church life, the programming life together, that I looked for other things, other ways to do that. And so like, since then, that's been another piece that's been helpful for me is like to sort of create what could be an overarching theme for this year um, that still works with the rhythms of our church year. And for me as a lectionary preacher, the, the, the contours of the lectionary, but also could help shape um, you know, uh, what we do on social media and the kinds of studies that we do, like the, those preaching and teaching aspects of ministry. Um, and that's honestly been an interesting and like um, uh, fresh kind of thing, because it, it requires me to hit the reset button every year in some ways, but also to do enough big picture planning to be looking at, okay, for a whole year at a time, could we work with this, you know, idea and flesh this out? So that's been something that's been helpful. And then honestly, um, the pandemic as for all the ways it was terrible forced a reinvention uh in a lot of it that again like you are you know strangers to that both of you um and for me when that happened we had to figure out things like use of technology and video and the things that we do and put up on video all those in the positive have become ways of reinventing what our presence as the church you know, as, as the the our presence online looks like and ways we are off we can connect both with church folks as well as with the wider community um so i think those have been a piece of it and then maybe one other piece i would say is because our family has brought changes with it every seven years or so um like sometimes it's it's that we brought the change we didn't have to invent one you know like when um my my wife went into the doctoral program um, at the university here. There was a, okay, that's going to shift how our family life looks. And uh, that's going to shift, um, you know, where I was able to spend time and what, what, what her life was going to look like. And when the kids came into the picture, there was a whole other piece of uh, the ways our lives changed, both as far as I need to be mindful about not having meetings happen on, you know, sometimes when I need to be there to put him to bed, or I need to be able to take him to school, that kind of thing. Um, and it's also obviously changed my window on uh, how, how I do pastoral care for family. I mean, I've got a whole window that I didn't have before. So in some ways, the, the reinvention happened as life passages happen in our own household. So Steve, how difficult has it been having to reinvent yourself when you have two different churches? 
I, I know a, a handful of pastors in my conference who have been in churches for 10, 15 years or so, but they've only had one church. Yeah. So like you're only reinventing in that one space, but like yeah. you are serving two different churches who I don't know. I don't know the dynamics of each of them very well, mm-hmm. but I know they're not exactly the same. Right. And th- that's, that's been interesting. Cause like one of the things that um, I, I, because I only know this kind of ministry, so I don't know, I don't know how to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would imagine that in, in only one congregation, you can think strategy differently. Like there are some times when I have to think in two opposite ways. Like the, 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 the one church I serve is right in the town, right on the a main street. And we can do ministry that is, Hey, people walking by might want to stop and be a part of this. So let's have, you know, uh, giveaways on trick or treat night, uh, to kids who are walking by to help, you know, keep them safe. We give out glow sticks or we can have a cookout in the churchyard and anybody who's walking by can be a part of it. And our mere geography affects that. And the other church that is, up on a hill um, far removed from anything else, you you have to be led by a Sherpa to get there. Um, and I mean, it changes evangelizing too, because yeah. nobody's just going to happen upon that place. Someone has to invite you. But that also means in a beautiful way, we can't just say, well, our billboard will invite people. No, there, there's no billboard that's going to do it. You have to you know, have mm-hmm. something that's worthwhile and people have to be willing to invite somebody to come. Um, but that also means that things like when, when I hear colleagues talk about doing ministry revitalization and they think about their particular context, mm-hmm. I've got to be thinking in two different ways at the same time. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's what's going on in one congregation. It's a moment of exciting hope and promise and change there. And the other one's going through a, a, a difficult period or it feels like it's a lull. One of the positives of that is most of the time that means there's always something somewhere that is moving or has the possibility for something to keep me excited uh so that when there when there's something that's more difficult or feels like more of a lull in a season in the other place there's other things to to keep me excited i guess um but it also means that yeah it's it's like juggling two different things at the same time i guess like so one one hand is trying to juggle apples and the other is trying to juggle bowling pins or something like that so sometimes that that is what and then things like the the themes that i've tried to do in the in the congregations for the last i don't know how many years that's a piece where okay at both churches i'm teaching in some way in both congregations i'm preaching in both congregations i'm involved in at least shaping the themes for seasons and writing devotions and things like that that there it's whatever in energy gets put into one it comes to, to be used by both congregations mm-hmm. and so that's been a way where i that's a place where i can feel like i can carve that out where it's safe to do that reinvention because it's not going to mess up or be only one congregation specific i guess having also been in a ministry site with multiple locations and what you just said about you know at times one congregation is going to be having something going on and the other one might be experiencing a lull I think the hardest thing I found balancing that is that oftentimes we need lulls in our lives to get energy again Um, and I don't know if I'm just speaking from the perspective of an introvert where I love being around people, but I also need that time to recharge and that time of recharging and like lull in ministry is really the only time I have to like get ahead on big picture planning or like, you you know, like the 
pe people always say, oh yeah, there's hardly ever anything going on in the summer. Well, if and when that's true, that's when I like am planning all of my next year's confirmation or adult Sunday school or, or whatever. Like I need that time to do some big picture planning. Yep. Um, do you find it harder to get some of that big picture stuff done with the two congregations because if one's in a lull the other one's doing something or vice versa like do you have a hard time carving out space to do that yeah again like having nothing else to compare it to I would say um I imagine that it's like there's a piece of me that, that feels like that it would be nice to have places where it was like universally there's going to be nothing for two weeks just go and get to do the brainstorming or whatever in fact uh, when when I was when I was brand new, I think I'd been here maybe like a year or so, and I asked both the two congregations. I said, um, for one of the weeks that I'm allotted for continuing it, instead of going somewhere else, how would you feel if I didn't miss a Sunday of going and I went on retreat? And I said, I'm going to take a weekend. I'm going to write. I'm just going to go and get to and like it'll be stuff that I could do for church projects, for Sunday school, whatever. And it was really, really, really good for me. Now life has not permitted me to get to do that <laughs> very frequently, but um, that that kind of thing was a lovely um, chance to get to do. And especially when you're, you're trying to be creative for something far off in the future, you don't feel like you're under the gun. You're able to be a lot more creative where it's not like you got like, and I know you both know this piece, like with weekly preaching that there's sometimes where ideas that sound great on Monday, like by Saturday, you're just scrambling for what am I going to, you know, if it's not soup yet, you're like, well, I have to find something. Mm -hmm. Um, and the beginning of the week is always full of promise of, oh, it's so far away. I can, there's so many possibilities that uh, those kinds of downtime for, for being creative or for um, that kind of long range planning. Yeah, those are things I, I feel sometimes like it is always moving on to the next short term thing rather than being able to do a lot of meaningful long range. Here's what's going to happen next. Um, and it's it, I, I've got to be honest that COVID has, has made only made that worse for me because it is much harder since COVID to do much meaningful long range planning of, ah, we'll be back to our regular attendance. And nope, but we're, it's going to be what it's going to be. And, uh, you know, every time we think we know how things are trending in the last two years is, well, surprise, here's a new variant or whoops, the very thought was going to be terrible. Wasn't this terrible. And you canceled that thing and everybody else is going to say, why did you bother canceling it? Um, so like, it's, it's, it's hard to do long range planning in that way without changing even the way we do long range planning. And so it feels like right now I've been living out of the, the lessons of the last year of the pandemic of make your plans as anti-fragile as possible, make them adaptable so that they can skew one way. If it turns out the world is like this, or they can skew a different way. And that, that it's a reinvention. I'll, I'll give it that. It means that it's one more way of keeping things new and fresh, but also it can be uh, challenging. Yeah. So I want to say to you both, thank you both for good questions, helping me to think out how my story of call keeps changing even in one place. Uh, and I want to thank both of you in these last couple of weeks of being willing to share your own stories and the courage that it takes not only to live them, but then to be able to tell them. Um, and we hope that in, in uh, listening to our conversations, this has been helpful for all of you listening as well to think out how God's call in your life works uh, in the various ways that changes in the seasons of our lives too. So join us next time for new adventures here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.